0: We're going to be in the gospel of Luke chapter number two, Luke chapter number two, you're turning there. Uh, I feel like I need to make a correction. Um, it's really not my place to correct doctrinal deviation, but I'm going to do it. And because I, a preacher cannot be a preacher and just let bad doctrine go. And so it was said just a minute ago from this pulpit, which I would expect more from this pulpit. But it was said from this pulpit that this Super Bowl bash, there's gonna be two types of wings bone in and boneless. Okay, now come on. There's no such thing as boneless wings. There is chicken nuggets and there are wings. If you are a flaming liberal Democrat, you eat nuggets. And if you're a God fearing, God loving Baptist, you eat chicken wings with the bone in them. Braxton Bozier, can I get an amen? (laughs) Luke chapter number two. Verse number 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, The child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. it came to pass after three days They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they, Mary and Joseph, when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings, in her heart, Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. Thank you for just another chance to hear from you. Pray that you just open our hearts, our ears, that we would give attention. Lord, I, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I'm preaching to a bunch of young people that are extremely tired today. And so I pray that you would just give them the alertness they need to hear what you have from them today. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, we're in that new beginning time of the year. I mean, it just removed from the first of the year when when people kind of step back and evaluate their lives and and, kind of look at different facets and areas of their lives and, and make some changes. I was reminded of this a a couple of weeks ago. And when I was at the gym, I'm a a little bit of a runner, but I'm a fair weather runner. I don't run outside when it's cold. I don't run outside when it's hot. So it it typically leaves me running on the treadmill, treadmill at the gym. And so I go there, I'm, I'm there four or five days a week. I'm very consistent. And so first of the year rolls around, I go to the gym and I walk in and I get ready to go to my treadmill and there's some fat dude on my treadmill. Clearly hasn't been in the gym all year. (laughs) Clearly he doesn't understand that the treadmill that he's standing on is my treadmill. I've been there five days a week for the last year. Uh, I'm there every day at the same time. Everybody in the gym knows that's my treadmill. That's not his treadmill. And so I had to go find another treadmill, which wasn't my treadmill, which really irritated me. And I'm running and I'm, I'm a little bit upset and I'm looking around and I noticed not only this one guy on my treadmill, but there are people all over this gym that I do not recognize that I've not ever seen in that gym before. I suppose they were looking around at the beginning of the year and they thought, you know, I've got a little flabby. I'm a little out of shape. I need to work on my health. I need to sure some things up. And so they made this resolution. I'm going to get back into the gym the good thing is that that guy's already gone and I'm back on my treadmill. So it's good. He only lasted about two weeks and uh, God bless him for that two weeks of effort. But regardless, I'm back on my treadmill, but I, I'm there that day and I'm, I'm, I'm running on that treadmill and I'm, I'm just kind of looking around the gym and I'm seeing all of these people and, and, and they've started trying to, to do something and put some things in place in their life. And, and suddenly while I'm running, my heart just kind of hits me. And, and I begin to think about all of these people and, and And all the people around this world and around our country and in our city that that at that time of the year decide they're going to focus and ensure some things up and kind of take inventory of their lives and see some areas where they're lacking and and get some things right again. And my heart smote me because I wondered how many of them took opportunity to stop and take inventory of their spiritual life. I wonder when the last time was that you stopped, took inventory of your spiritual life. Sometimes when we do that, we realize, hey, we're in a bit of a slump. Things aren't right where they need to be. Sometimes when we stop and we take inventory of our spiritual life, we realize we're more than a slump. We, we've lost touch with Jesus altogether, that things aren't at all where they need to be. And I love a text like this because it's a great reminder for us today. That, that when we stop and take inventory, that we might find that our relationship, our proximity to the Lord Jesus Christ is not where it once was, and it gives us the key ingredients that we need to get back to where we need to be. So I want to just show you three things that I find in this text, three stages in the, in the lives of Mary and Joseph as they took this journey back to Christ. First, we're going to see the the part of the journey where they realize Christ was missing. Second, we find the part of the journey where they go looking for him. And last, we find the part of the journey where they find him again. The story that, that surrounds the text that I read shows Jesus on the brink of manhood, adulthood. The incident was around the Passover time when Jesus was 12. The text tells us that Joseph and Mary, their devout Jewish couple, and they're going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to celebrate the feast of the Passover. This was a time when the entire nation would gather together and they would celebrate God's deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. The the Passover was one of three major feasts that Israel uh, would be uh, celebrated in Israel. There would be the Passover, there would be Pentecost, and there would be the Feast of the Tabernacles. There would actually be the Passover day, and then after Passover day, there would be a seven-day-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. Eventually, this entire eight-day period became, became known collectively as Passover, And so as they did every year, Mary and Joseph, the parents of Jesus, they take this 12 year old boy and their other kids and they go up to Jerusalem as their custom was. The trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it was an arduous journey, it was about 80 miles. And so oftentimes it would take three or four days and they would travel in caravans, large groups. And in doing so, it would offer up fellowship. It would offer up safety from highway robbers. And so these large groups would gather and they would travel. I can only imagine when Mary and Joseph got to Jerusalem that they would have found this city. It would have been somewhat chaotic. The city would have been teeming with hundreds and thousands of fellow Israelite Jewish people that had come to celebrate the Passover. The city would have been teeming with with so many people and it would have been uh, hard for them to find lodging and they would all been trying to find a place where they could celebrate the Passover meal, along with finding and purchasing sacrificial animals. You can only imagine that there would be the sound there in Jerusalem of hundreds of thousands of sheep, which the priest would have sacrificed. The beggars would have been out in full force. Soldiers would have been on patrol, keeping order in the city. We don't know exactly everything that surrounded this day, according to Luke. What we do know is that Luke doesn't go into great lengths to describe the events of the Passover, but he kind of steps in and picks up the story afterward when Mary and Joseph were returning from Nazareth. The text seems to indicate they stayed for the entire eight days. And so here they are, they they gather up and they're heading back to their hometown. And and the Bible says that that, uh, Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem. Nothing is said to his parents. They're completely unaware of it. They suppose that he was part of this caravan. And, And it wasn't until the end of the first day, the end of the first day, that Mary and Joseph realized Jesus was missing. Now, I'm not going to criticize Mary and Joseph too much because no parents are perfect. And I, too, have forgotten a child a time or two. I remember one time when Gabe, we adopted Gabe. He was four years of age. And my wife and I always make a habit of driving separate vehicles to church. I always go early. Many times I stay late. And so we always take separate vehicles. We were in Colorado, and and Gabe, I guess, had went to the bathroom. We all walked out of the church. We're talking, saying goodbye to the church members. We all get in our vehicles, and we drive away. We get home. We get out of our church clothes, get into our comfy clothes. I start making some food for the kids. I I holler out, and I tell the kids, hey, it's time to eat. And and a couple of them come. I said, hey, I said it's time to eat. And another one comes. Finally, I'm like, Gabe, it's time to eat. And Gabe doesn't show up. It's like 35, 40 minutes removed. So I, I get irritated. I start looking all over the house. Finally, I walk in where my wife was and I said, where in the world is Gabe? She goes, I don't know, you brought him home. I said, I didn't bring him home, you brought him home. She said, well, I guess nobody brought him home. We had panic bars on the church so you could get out, you couldn't get back in. He came out to find everybody, we're all gone. He sat down on the sidewalk 45 minutes later, I show up in the parking lot and here's this four year old boy just sitting there waiting for me get in the car. I said, what were you going to do? What was you thinking? At that time I took, this was a Sunday night. At that time I took Mondays off. He gets in the car. And I said, what were you thinking, Gabe? He said, I knew you'd be back Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not going to give too much grief to Mary and Joseph. No family is perfect. But hey, that was like 45 minutes. They, they forgot Jesus and lost touch inside of Jesus, it was the end of the first day's journey before they ever even realized that had happened. A whole day. Which makes me question how did they lose touch with Jesus? How did this happen? Let me, let me give you a, a few suggestions. I think one would be in the busyness of life. The busyness of life. Have you ever tried to leave on a trip? Of course, most of you have. Trying as a dad to get everything and everyone together and out the door can be one of the world's greatest challenges. I'm trying to think of a time when we've, we've ever left for a trip, we've ever packed in, and left for any type of trip that we were gonna going to be gone for a significant amount of time that by the time we got into the car, that the mood of everybody in the car was less than perfect. I mean, it's, it's normally pretty sour. Here's, here's the situation. So we're trying to load everything in the car. I'm just, I'm just going to talk about my family. And, and so I tell my family, all right, hey, I need everybody to get your stuff together. I need you to bring it out and, and so I can get it loaded. I, you don't know this because you don't really know me, but I am like a packing genius I mean, if there's levels, I am at the elite level of of packing. Okay, so my family brings all this stuff out. And to the untrained human eye, they look at all of this stuff, and they look at that area in the back of our car, and they're like, there ain't no way all of that's fitting in there. Watch me. I'll impress anybody. I mean, here's all the legs. This is all the legs. This is all the legs. All right. So I start working. I'm telling you, you put everything just the per- perfect way in the perfect place and a duffel bag here and a suitcase here and you turn something here and, and you finally get it all it is in there. And, and it's like a work of art. It's masterful. I mean, neighbors are coming out and like, I don't know how you did that. That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm an elite level packer. I'm amazing. And I'm just so proud of myself. And I'm thinking, all right, this is all. Let's see if we can get the door shut. You can barely get the door shut. And and it's just like the greatest moment of a trip. Until one of my jack wagon kids (laughs) walks out with their suitcase and backpack. Hey, dad, here's my stuff. And it's like, what are you talking about? Here's your stuff. That was all this stuff. We don't have room for any more stuff. Now I've got to start all over again. And it absolutely irritates me every time. I tell them. We're leaving at 8 o'clock. Like, what time are we leaving tomorrow? We're leaving at the latest at 8 o'clock tomorrow. At the latest means we're not leaving at 8 o'clock. We're leaving at the latest 8 o'clock, which means we're leaving earlier than 8 o'clock. They know me. If you're not 15, 30 minutes early, you're late. So they know. What I really mean is when I'm ready to leave, I'm ready to go. That's when we're going to go. And so here it is, like 7.45, and I'm wondering, where in the world is everybody? It's time to go. I said at the latest 8 o'clock, so I'm in the house. Hey, let's go. It's time to go. Let's get in the car. Come on. And and so finally, I'm getting them out of the house, and so I, I learned a long time ago that um, well, I, see, I was a youth pastor and I left a kid at a gas station on a, on a youth trip. And, and, and it was like four hours down the road before I realized. And so I learned to count. And, and so here's my kids and they're they're getting into the the car and and that's a, a whole thing in and of itself because they're all fighting over the seats and so I mean there's elbows being thrown, teeth getting knocked out that's my seat, that's my seat and finally i'm like listen, i don't care if you ride on the roof just." Grab on somewhere because this car's leaving. And so we, everybody gets in the car and they're sitting down. And, and, and I want to count because I don't want to leave anybody. And so there's six of us. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six. And I, I'm ready to count. And so they all get in the car and they're fighting. And by this time, my, my blood pressure is way high. And I'm like, one, two, me and my wife, two, three, four, five. We only got five. Where's Keith? Why isn't he in the car? What's he doing? He's in the shower, <laughs> in the shower. Are you kidding me? Get out of, the house, or out of the car, walk in, knock on the door. Dude, what are you doing? I'm taking a shower. I said we was leaving. You said we was leaving at eight. No, I didn't say we was leaving at eight. I said we was leaving at the latest at eight, which meant it's 7.45. You should have been in the car, Joker. So he gets out, out runs out, gets in the car. He knows he's in trouble. I get in one, two, three, four, five. Six. There's only five. Where's Carissa? She had to go to the bathroom. What do you mean we had to go to the bathroom? We just got ready to go. So finally, one, two, three, four, five, six, we got them all. We buckle up. Nobody's saying a word. We go through town, we get on the interstate, cruise is set and it's like, ah, and then I hear, um, I forgot my phone. You forgot what? I forgot my phone. Do you need your phone? Yes, I need my phone. At this point, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. You're getting out and walking. And I would say that if it wasn't my wife that forgot her phone. (laughs) So what do we do? We go all the way back, get the phone, you get back, and then someone's like, well, since she's getting the phone, I I forgot this. And someone else like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I'm telling you, in the busyness of it all, it, it is absolutely chaotic. Can you imagine that it would have been very, very similar for Mary and Joseph? By the time that Jesus was 12, they would have had multiple children. They would have been traveling in this huge caravan trying to get all of their stuff from a week's trip, a week's journey, all of their stuff together. And they would have been traveling. They didn't want people to wait. And it would have just been very chaotic trying to get everybody out the door. Hey, can you understand this? Is your life busy? I remember when I was in Bible college and I worked as a a youth pastor. I I worked a full-time job. My last two years I was married and and had a child. I I was of course going to school and and I can remember thinking to myself, if I could ever just just take my life and narrow it down to just two priorities instead of four, if I could ever just get to where ministry and family was the priority and I didn't have to juggle a full-time job and I didn't have to juggle school, And I'm just simply saying that you know what I'm talking about when I say how busy our lives can become. And sometimes they become so absolutely busy that we lose sight of Jesus and we don't even know it. Not only the busyness of life, but the priorities of life. There would have been so many distractions for Mary and Joseph, the other children, the other families, the other conversations. I have four sisters and I don't have much good to say about them, but I have a lot of good things to say about their kids. My youngest sister has four boys, five boys, I don't know, I can't keep up. There's a lot of them. But all I know is every time I get together with them, there's an awesome fight that takes place. Me against all of them. Uncle Dan, I'm taking you on. And so they start coming at me and here's Ben and he jumps on my head and just about the time he gets him pinned, here comes Zachary Dudah and he's throwing an elbow and he's power driving on top of me and I mean, we're just going at it and then another one comes and another one comes and you throw one to one side and here comes another one and throw him to the other side and here comes another one and it's like, they're just relentless. They never stop. Like like, Almost like gnats, when gnats are attacking you. You're like, just go, hey, and you get rid of one and here comes another one. Hey, the priorities of life can be like that. I I woke up early this morning. I mean, of course, uh, two hours removed from Texas time, my phone was going full out. And it was like, here I am trying to do my Bible reading. Here I am trying to study and get ready to preach. And it's like, I mean, it's just one thing after another, after another. And it feels like that at times that that the priorities and the responsibilities that you have right here you have work, you have school, some of you have athletics, you have ministries, you have this, and it's like everything is coming at you from every different angle, and you have all of these responsibilities and all these priorities. And if you're not careful, in the midst of all of that busyness and all of those priorities, you might just find yourself losing sight of Jesus. But here's one more thing they lost sight of Jesus surrounded by people of faith. Mary and Joseph were surrounded by other people who had made the journey. You maybe have never thought about this, but shouldn't it amaze us that nobody in that caravan realized Jesus was missing? He he was an outstanding young man he is a young man. We know that would have, would have, cultured the 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 the, um, the focus and and the attention, if you would, of everybody. People would notice he was unlike any other child. They would notice, and right there in the midst of all of those people in that caravan, nobody noticed he was missing. Amazing, isn't it? You have godly parents. You've godly professors. Some of you have godly roommates. Some of you don't. You're sitting here with other people who have faith and a desire to follow God. But it might surprise you that in the midst of all these people that are moving forward and attempting to serve God, that you lose sight of Jesus, and nobody's noticed. You haven't read your Bible in a long time. Your prayer life's non-existent. I went to to Bible college. My parents are here, they don't even know this. Probably gonna be in big trouble now, but it's a good illustration. Took a job at Domino's Pizza. My first semester of Bible college, I went to church less than five times. I would deliver pizzas on Saturday night until about two in the morning. Then we would go out and we'd have breakfast somewhere. And talk until about four in the morning, I'd go back and go to bed and I'd sleep all day Sunday. Wednesday night I was working and I hardly ever went to church. And what is the most amazing thing is, is that nobody even noticed. Your relationship with God may be all but non-existent. Maybe even kind of on life support right now. But yet nobody's even noticed. The end of that first day. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they got the other kids down for, to sleep. I, I don't know exactly. The Bible doesn't tell us how it happened. But at some point, at the end of that first day, Mary and Joseph, they take stock. They take inventory of everything. And somewhere along the line, it, it becomes very apparent to them that Jesus is missing. He's not there. It might just be that today in the midst of all of everything else going on, it maybe has been a couple of weeks, maybe a couple months, maybe six months, maybe a long time since you've been in touch with Jesus, but maybe this would be a real good time like Mary and Joseph to just stop and take some inventory in your life. Where is your walk with the Lord? When was the last time that your relationship was where it needed to be? When was the last time that you were in the proximity of your Savior that you're supposed to and should be? When was that? And if you find out that you've lost touch with Jesus, you need to do exactly what Mary and Joseph did. The Bible tells us when they found him not, they turned back again. That's a pretty awesome statement. Can, can you imagine? They take inventory and they realize Jesus isn't here would it not be just absolutely mind-blowing if, if Mary and Joseph would have been like, eh, oh, well, we'll be back for another feast. We'll find him then. Ah, he's 12. He's basically a man anyways. He'll be fine. Well, let's go back to Nazareth. And, and when things slow down and we get everything in order, we'll go back and we'll find him then. But so many times that's exactly what we do. We look at our relationship with God and we know it's not where it should be. We've lost the, the fire. We've lost the, the drive to do something for Him, that passion, that relationship. Uh, that, that It's not there. And we come to a chapel or we go to a service and, and, and we, we hear a preacher preach or we're reading our Bible and we're in class or wherever it is and we know things aren't right. But how often are we so quick to just push it off? Well, I'll get it better. Well, Once things slow down, I'll get back home this summer. It'll get better then. Can you imagine if they did that? But they didn't. They sought Him. They sought Him sorrowing. And this is where the whole text begins to change. And this is where your attitude should begin to change. Once you realize Jesus is missing, you got to decide, I'm going to go find him. You got to develop what the Bible calls godly sorrow. You got to become determined that "I, I don't want it to be this way anymore. I don't want Jesus to be over there and me to be over here. By the way, he didn't move, you moved. But if you'll draw nigh to him, he'll draw nigh to you. And if you'll develop some godly sorrow and decide, I want to get back and have that relationship with him once again. I want that fire again. I want that intimate relationship with my Savior again. I want that sweet fellowship with him again. Then you can go and you can find him, which is exactly what they did. I think the statement our Lord makes is quite amazing. Amazing. In verse 48, when they saw him, after several days of seeking him, they found him. His mother said to him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I sought thee sorrowing. I don't know about you, but I read that and I hear my mama talking to me. And it's like that firm voice, son, what are you thinking? What was you thinking? But Jesus responds, how is it that you sought me? Wished ye not I must be about my father's business? Here's here's basically what Jesus said. Why did you frantically look for me? Why all the anxiety? Why did you go about searching for me the way you did? For three nights or three days, you've searched everywhere for me. Why is it that you did that? You should have known where you would find me. You should have known where I was at. You should have known where to go and where you would find me again. And so here's the question. Where do we find him again? Where do we find him again? Let me give you three baby little points on that and we'll be done. You've lost touch with Jesus. You've realized it. Now you want to seek him. Where do you find him? You find him in the same proximity where you left him. They found him in the exact same proximity. They lost him. The last time they saw Jesus, he was in Jerusalem. The last time they saw Jesus, he was likely around the temple. Let me ask you this, when was the last time you were close to Jesus? Where were you spiritually? What were you doing to be close to him? What was different then than now? Because I'm telling you, if you'll just go back to that very spot, if you'll go back to that very place, you'll find he's still there. And that sweet fellowship, that sweet relationship, it's still there. For some of you, it was a youth camp. For some of you, it was when you was back home and life was easier and slower. For some of you, it was before you got to hanging out with that friend or that person. It was before that boy or that girl. It was when you was reading your Bible. It was, again, when you was consistent in your prayer life, when you was actively involved in serving in church and not just kind of hidden amongst the massive masses. It was back then, and if you'll just go back to that spot, you'll realize that's where he is. Be sure. You'll find him right where you left him. But not only that, they found him at the house of God. Imagine that. Finding Jesus at his house. What a novel thought. Does that sound a bit sarcastic? Well, good, because it's intentional. Because it truly is obvious that if you want to get back in step with God, there's no better place than in his house. If I want to get in shape, I go to the gym. If I want to earn a paycheck, I go to work. If I want groceries, I go to the grocery store. If I want to golf, I go to the golf course. Some things are easy to understand. And if you want to meet and get back in touch with God, then go where God meets with his people, and that is his house. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And there is a great temptation in Bible college that you hear so much preaching, you're in so many classes, you get so many lectures, that you get so full of so many good things that you get to the point where you just tune it out. You know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of chapel services. And I get it, you're tired. There's a lot of chapel services, though, that if someone is to come up to you five minutes after chapel service and say, hey, what was that about? You'd have to be honest and say, honestly, I don't have a clue. I I don't know. There's times that you show up to church and you leave church and you no more did business with God. You no more and paid attention. You, You were thinking about the assignments. You was thinking about work. You was thinking about everything else but what was going on in the house of God. But wait a second. When you come to this place... It, we, when you come here in, in, in chapel or in services and you get to hear the preaching of the Word of God and you get to meet together with God's family, with the body of Christ, you get to meet together with them. God can do such exceptional things, but sometimes we just are so complacent and we just absolutely go through the motions when we, and never stop and realize, hey, that's where God wants to meet with me. That's where God wants to restore that fellowship in me. I know services can be long. I know you hear some. Much preaching, but God wants to use those times in His house to grab a hold of your heart. Number three, they found Him with the people of God. They found Him with the people of God. They got back to Jerusalem, and where He was, He was sitting in the midst of a crowd. They were asking Him questions. You know who these people were? These were people who had a hunger and a desire for the things of God. They wanted to understand, they wanted to grow. They wanted to know more about God. If you want to be closer to God, find others who want to get close to God and surround yourselves with them. Negative, bitter, disgruntled, never happy Christians are not going to help you draw closer to Him, are not going to help you get back in in fellowship with Him. People consumed with pursuit of earthly things will, will likely take you farther away. They're certainly not going to help you find your way back. You say, well, you, you, you can just skip over this point because we're in Bible college and everybody here is spiritual. No, you're not saying that because you know that's not true. There, there's some exceptionally carnal people in this auditorium. There's some exceptionally carnal people that go to Bible college. There's some people, you know, if you hang out with, they're going to affect your entire attitude. The difference between my first two years of Bible college and my last two years of Bible college was the people I hung out with. The first two years of Bible college, I barely barely made it through. I, I did nothing. I accomplished nothing. It, it was really worthless other than a bunch of money pushed in. And I hung out with the wrong people that took me down the wrong path. The last two years, I decided if I'm going to spend this much money and I'm going to spend my life in the ministry, I better get serious about this. And, and I started, and we didn't even have to, but I started suiting up every day. When I went to class, I decided I was going to serious about what God was calling me to do. I found the best friends I could that would help me, that would challenge me, that that actually went to class and wanted to learn something and would help me understand things. I surrounded myself with them and the entire perspective of Bible college changed. By the way, if you're a negative person, if you're an unspiritual person, if you're a carnal person, if you're a bitter person, Don't be surprised when those around you begin to leave. Don't you judge them when they say, no, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. So the good news is they found Christ again. The good news is you can too. So as we close, let's stop. Let's stop with Mary and Joseph at the end of that first day's journey. Let's just stop and take a, a stock and inventory for just a moment and ask, is something missing in my walk with him? Is it time for me to find Christ again? If Christ has gone missing in your life, I, I'm begging that God would grant you that everything you need to find him again. He's not hiding. He, he's not being secretive. He's there. He still loves you. He still seeks you. If you only turn your heart, He's there. Christmas time, and I'm done with this, at Christmas time, all of our kids came home. I have two daughters that are married now, and so they came home and brought their husbands, and then Keith is is here, and and we have one son, Gabe, that's still at home. And and so they all came home, and um, it, it was really, it was awesome for about six hours, and then it got a little chaotic in my house, and I was ready for them all to go home. And I never understood that. When people say, it's nice when they come, it's even better when they go. I never understood that until this Christmas until they started leaving. First was Krissa and Zach and I had to take them to the airport and drop them off. They got married two years ago and moved to Virginia. See them maybe twice a year, just the way life is right now. And so knowing that I was dropping them off right after Christmas and I wouldn't see them again until the end of June or first of July, I hugged them. Zach's a big old boy. I even tried to hug him, barely, you know, kind of got around him, but he's a big old boy, and, and, and hugged him. I watched them walk into the airport, and I got in my car, and I drove off, and I'm not much of a crier, but tears kind of welled up in my eyes. Next day, Kaylee and Jared had to go back to Roswell, where he's a youth pastor, and so they walked out and got in their car and hugged them goodbye and kind of went and sat in my recliner. And... Choke down the tears because there goes my baby girl and her husband back to Roswell. A couple days later, it's time for Keith to get on the plane and come back here for basketball. Took him to the airport early one morning, and he's my bud, best friend. And, and, and so I dropped him off the airport. We hugged, you know, we're men, we're tough. And he goes and walks in the airport, and I'm driving away, and big old tears start running down my cheek. Not, not because I'm sad he's here, I'm just I'm gonna miss my bud. But then I begin to think, as I hugged him goodbye, I begin to think as I was driving away, the next time I see him, those very arms that hugged him goodbye are gonna be there to hug him hello. When I got to the airport, went out, first thing I did, big old hug. Those same arms had to say goodbye. We're there to say hello. The, the prodigal son left. Here's the amazing fact. The very same path that led him away from the father was the very same path that he walked down to restore a relationship with the father. That's our Savior. He's there. You walked away, but his arms are there to say Hello. That same path that you walked down that took you away from that close fellowship with him is there. And if you'll just turn around and walk down that same path, you can have that sweet fellowship again today.